We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. best convey the experience of last night. Oh yeah, you could just listen to my voice. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Glockman Twitter Yankee Gunner. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel badly when I sound like this for you, but I sound like this for you so that you can fully engage with the experience of last night, an 8 p.m. kickoff. I think someone said to me, it's our first ever 8 p.m. Saturday kickoff in a Premier League uh, fixture making room for the Blockbuster League Cup final that'll be going on about 90 minutes from now. Um, really a, a special night and a night that I think the club, to say needed, it might be a little heavy-handed, but given the circumstances in the league as they stand and uh, the experience out in Porto, I think it is something that we needed, and I'm glad we got it. So I'm um, going to talk to Clive about the game. There is an instant reaction with Phil and Paul and Clive and myself from the ground that you can check out. We'll obviously be doing our usual stuff over there. And there is a video journal of the week in Porto. The traveling out there, the time with the other away fans, the experience at the Stadio do Dragao. Um, what I would say is that I can see why people get addicted to doing it. Because even when the football's not good, the camaraderie and the experience, and even a bit of that pride of saying, you know, I was there when the Galeno shot went in in the 94th minute, like it infects you. It gets under your skin. And I had a chance to eat dinner with Tim when I got back into London and you know, he said the FOMO was kicking in until that shot went in, but he said even when it goes badly, the experience is really something special and unique, and I can see how people get addicted to it. Having said that, uh, both for my carbon footprint and for my bank account, it is not possible for me to follow Arsenal home and away. So um, maybe more of a once-in-a-lifetime experience than an every-time experience. If you could leave us a review, it would be helpful. I, I keep hearing that's how pods get discovered now is by reviews, so if you could do that, that'd be great. If not, um, I'm just glad you're here. Anyway, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How are you feeling today? Physically feeling? You know, I've done all right. I mean, um, good for you. God bless you. Porto was a uh, a lot of walking, shall we say? Um, I felt like I was in the Tour de France sometimes, looking at them hills. 
you know. Um, well, and, you were wearing the spandex bike shorts. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was that was good. And yesterday, uh, yesterday was my, one of my favorites, mate. Uh, you know, sort of leaving the house about 2.30 for an 8 o'clock kickoff. <laughs> uh, that spells disaster. And um, getting into Upper Street around 4 and then rolling into various other places, going to the ground. Yeah, that's that's my sort of day. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Really nice people. And um, yeah, recovering, recovery is ongoing, shall we say. Yeah, and before we get into the game specifically, um, you know, obviously the club put out a lot of messaging on social media. They emailed people and things wanting the ground to be loud, wanting the atmosphere to be special and raucous for the game. And I would say people being out all day didn't hurt. Interesting game because the jeopardy was taken out of it so quickly by our performance that then I think it quieted down. But I do think it was loud. I do think we came out and created an atmosphere. Curious about your just feeling around the atmosphere that's created the scarves, the flags, the there's a stunning picture of Bakayo Saka in front of a giant flag after he scored. That's definitely one to check out if you haven't seen it. But I thought, I thought the ground was really, really fired up um, until the jeopardy sort of seeped out of the game. But in the beginning it was loud. It was a real cauldron. Yeah. And um, to be honest, there's been a few games that if you compare that one to Liverpool, Liverpool was ridiculously good. <laughs> it mm. could be like the best one. I said, I'm sure I said that about Spurs last year. We've had a lot of them. Year. We've had a lot of them. Man yeah. United, I'm sure I said it about that one as well. Bournemouth, well, who knew that Bournemouth at home would be that? You know, so I'm fortunate after being at all of those. So it's been, uh, but I thought Liverpool was was electric because maybe the game was um, a bit tougher. And you're right, Elliot. Once the third goal went in, you can get the cigars out, right, couldn't you? And um, and enjoy yourself. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really good. It's for me, the whole day was good. So, um, and the game, unlike Porto, when everything was fantastic, apart from the actual football, this was like fantastic, and the football was good. So, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so, I guess the best place to start is with the lineup, the usual sort of place to go. And and Clive, I think I feel very strongly about this, and I know others disagree, but I'll say it because no one can stop me. I have a microphone in my hand. I think the lineup he picked for Newcastle is maybe, maybe, maybe the lineup he might have liked to have picked for Porto. But there are a few things we don't know. One, Jorginho's been carrying something, some kind of knock, and we don't know if he was fit enough to start both games, and maybe he was held for this game. Um, I do think when you win 11-0 in two away games, it I don't want to say puts pressure, because I don't think Mikel feels any pressure other than to do what he feels is right, but I think it creates a sense that it would be silly to change it, and I can understand going with a lineup in midweek that had just won 11-0 on aggregate and two away fixtures, but this lineup for me, I I really think we saw the importance of Jorginho in this one. I think he got the lineup spot on, and while it may be harsh to drop Trissard, um, I really like the way this this lineup looked at me, obviously, the way we played, but I'm curious what you think of his decision to go with Kai sort of up front and and Jorginho in next to Declan Rice. Anyway, excuse me. It's the only change we could really make, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, no one, no one else was fit enough to be back. Let's have a discussion around lineups and style of play. Because for me, it's not just taking Jorginho out. What you do is you then put Kai Havertz at centre forward. Then your front two press becomes Havertz and Odegaard. Very similar to what it was like against Liverpool. So in a situation where we had a very high energy, high pressing game, 
and we they give us the ball back, and then we can build up. So Jorginho looks good in that scenario. He can stay in the pocket, and he can just rat-attack that ball around. But really, the front four are the energy. They provide the front-footedness. They drive. They force the ball long, and then White, Kivio, everyone else can step in, all the defenders can step in, win it, and we retain the ball and keep people where we want. So it's not just about replacing Jorginho. It's about how we play dynamically. When we have the away game team, when we have double, you know, almost like the double false nines with Trossard and Havertz, that's another way of playing. And where Odegaard drops deeper alongside Rice. And so we have a box that way. And the wingers are on the outside, almost like two, three forwards. That's a style of play. We have the Rice-Havertz style of play, where basically Rice does two men's jobs. You try to get into a front fire, Havertz goes forward, switches positions with whoever the centre forward is. So we have... Different ways of playing. We have another way of playing when Zinchenko plays. We double up with Rice and Zinchenko at the base. Odegaard high. Kavats creates a left top box player. So we have that way of playing. So what we have when we get people fit, and this is a challenge, the challenge is what team do we pick for what game we want to play? And that is almost like you've got to categorize games. I want to play a high pressing game here to have actually my centre forward. Do you see what I mean? It's not just about Georgina. It's about the right team for the right game on the right day. I think that's going to be the challenge going forward where we get people fit. Yeah, and I, I do want to praise Kai Havertz's pressing. I mean, I think you can't... This is what's interesting, right? People will sometimes roll their eyes when you praise someone for doing things they regard as basic. But we keep hearing this saying, Arsenal are the best out-of-possession team in the world. You can't be the best out-of-possession team in the world if players aren't doing really valuable and important things out of possession. <laughs> and, you know, Kai Havertz with seven ball recoveries in this game um, launched a lot of dangerous attacks recovering the ball. I think um, maybe it was TNT Sport that did it, but there was a really nice... Oh, no, it was Match of the Day that did it, actually. A really nice breakdown of Odegaard's running and Havertz running and the way they immediately closed down the space and made it impossible, impossible for... Um, Newcastle to get out at all. I want to just ask you something quickly, a, a more generalized question before we get back into specifics. Newcastle were horrendous. And I think there is this thing that can happen when you're very good that everybody looks horrendous. Uh, Burnley were horrendous. West Ham were horrendous. Well, you know, Liverpool were well below their best, you know, the, so on and so on and so on. Um, and I don't know how to measure the distance between how bad Newcastle were and how good we were. They couldn't get out. They couldn't put up a fight. In that first half, I th I think it's as dominant as I've seen us be against anyone. Um, not Maybe not in terms of scoring and chance creation, but in terms of just taking the ball away from them and absolutely giving them no life whatsoever in terms of getting it past the halfway line. I mean, do you agree with that? Is that one of the most dominant halves of football you've seen from us in terms of territory control? And how much do you apportion to Newcastle being crap versus us just being sensational? I thought we were good. I, I'm not interested in them. I, I respect oppositions, and I didn't feel like um, the game was over at halftime. I just felt we were playing really, really well, and I just wanted to see the game out. I was conscious of the fact that we played on Wednesday night, didn't fly back till Thursday afternoon, recovery was light, while Newcastle were at home watching the 6 o'clock news, right? And they weren't, they weren't doing anything. So, um, so I'm always conscious of a drop-off in the second half, physically. And um, so... I wanted that third goal real quick, you know, so um, then I could relax. But so, yeah, I sort of respect Newcastle. They, they brought in Livermento into left back to try to manage Bukayo Saka. Well, that didn't work, did it? Um, 
Martinelli and, and Saka I thought were excellent. And um so they had a they had a plan to sort of manage us in wide areas, work hard in midfield and try to release Isaac on, on the break. It just didn't happen because we put so much pressure on their egg on their exit passes that we just kept retaining the ball. And I think that's the key. The key is our off the ball work, Elliot. You're absolutely right. We've been so focused on attacks clicking, but all season our off the ball work has been really, really good. You can think of the one or two times when it wasn't good. It was probably Fulham. That's probably the only game we haven't dominated. Do you see what I mean? With with our possession play, I'm not saying we dominated Liverpool for the entire game at Anfield, but we we were we were comfortable for last stretches, right? So, um, so yeah, it, it is a big part of what we do. Um, and yeah, Newcastle generally away from home are not great, but I do respect them as a team, although I don't respect them as a club. <laughs> that makes sense, and how they operate yeah. against us. So uh, yeah, I was happy with the. I respect more of a team that I do Burnley, and you know that and West Ham, etc. They're they're a better side than them. We owed them one, though. We definitely owed them one. And um, you know, Odegaard made comments after the game saying, you know, we wanted to put things right after Porto and after what happened last time we played Newcastle. I'm sure Mikel uh, was drilling that into their heads and. You could tell, like Bruno Grimmerich wanted no part of it. Threw himself to the ground on a couple of occasions. He's he's a nasty player, and Got yeah, they just off bullied the him off. Out of game. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yep. Not, um, not some really player. crazy stat. No, I. What's happened to Bruno Grimmerich at Newcastle, by the way, is really interesting because he came out storming, and I mean, he's just his behavior and his attitude. I think has robbed him of of what he could be as a footballer. But um, can I just stop you there for a second? Yep. Elliot? You may not have seen this, but maybe people. We were watching TV, have seen it. There was a interview with Edu pre-game, and he doesn't do many interviews, so I, I just watched it, and it's in my head, really. And he spoke about um type of players they were looking for, and he kept mentioning the word what players transmit and their character mm. and their attitude. And a couple of players that you know, fans like, you know, like Bruno. Some fans wanted Bruno when he came in, you know, was was coming over. And I look at what he transmits to the crowd, and I don't like it. You know, I don't like it. There's a lot of fans who like to see Ivan Tony coming in. After you listen to that Edu interview, I don't think Ivan Tony's coming in. You know, I look at what he transmits, how he plays, how he moves. For me, he walks too much, right? And um, in between plays, and I don't think he transmits the right things. That may sound controversial, but it's just my opinion. And um, when we're looking for the next phase of player, We've got great examples in our team right now. They may not have a fantastic first touch all the time. They may not, but their body language and what they transmit to the crowd is uniformly excellent. So um, I just want to put that point up. Yeah, Bruno Guimaraes reminds me of another Bruno over at United, a different United, Manchester United. Good time players, you know. Um, and, And so it was nice to see him. I think in the mud, as the kids say, there's some just wild data around Arsenal coming out. I think the Premier League account tweeted out, I think, was it seven halves where Arsenal have now scored over two goals the first time two in goals, Premier League history. Yeah, yeah. Um, Arsenal have scored in February half as many goals as Manchester United have scored this season. I happen to like that one. Enjoyed watching Alex Awobi beat them at Old Trafford as my shout for them finishing bottom half is still on. It is still on. How about this? In six Premier League games in 2024, Arsenal have allowed shots worth a combined 1.88 expected goals. The second best record in that time is Manchester City, who have allowed a combined 6.77 expected goals. 
five expected goals fewer than the second best team in just those seven games. So really extraordinary data that we're piling up. We're very, very good. And I think focusing on the second goal is actually an interesting conversation because I think it's a lot of things that we haven't seen. It was a lot of dynamics that I think are really worth digging into. We win the ball back. Martinelli makes a really interesting run across the center of the pitch into the right half space in the box. Jorginho sees it and he plays it. You know, he plays it and he plays it excellently. And Martinelli executes excellently back to the center of the box where Kai Havertz, if you watch it, it, it was almost Aubameyang-esque the way he runs in the box. He makes a run for the defender and then he moves back to the center and finds the open space and slots home. He should have had two, obviously missed a big, big chance early in the second. But Clive, I like that goal because I think it's an interesting variation on a theme and, and maybe just a little bit some of the stuff you and I talked a lot about when we were at the game on Wednesday, which is play that ball, play that ball. And Jorginho plays that ball and look at the dividends it pays. And I think you can look at this game where Jorginho had double the touches of Declan Rice and double the passes of Declan Rice. And I think they each were able to play the role that they really specialize in very nicely in this game. And I, he was man of the match, I think rightly so. But what do you think of that goal and what it says about some of the patterns of play that we we can develop with him? Well, you can only, you can only play the pass if you've got the run. It's as simple as that. You know, and maybe there sometimes... There two runs, by the way. It could have gone either of them. <laughs> yeah. You only can play the pass if you've got the run. But maybe players run when they know the player can pass to them. That makes sense? You know, if they know the ball, he can find me, I'm going to make the run. I thought Martinelli's activity was excellent. I think I think he's had a great week, actually. He may not have a goal to show for it. I'm not sure if he has a goal or even an assist, but I think he's been excellent. I think he's been really playing his heart out. You know, even though not every touch has gone well for him, I think he's really been an example. So, yeah, I think the, the Declan rice Georgina thing, I'm I'm pausing on that one, Elliot, because I'm not sure I want that pass differential. You know? Um, but on a day when you want to go and press somebody into their half and keep them there, and Declan Rice's role became much more an off-the-ball role, following him behind, making sure he could read the, the exit pass out and keep us in there. So his role was different. And every now and again, he needs supporting. He needs not to be carrying everything in his rucksack and carrying everything on his own with everyone about 30 yards away from him. He just needs a bit of support on, on occasions. And if you are going to be aggressive, in our fullback area. So I thought Kivior and Ben White were both excellent and active on that Havertz goal that our fullbacks are both in the box. So that tells you when you've got the extra people behind you, there's a bit of freedom there. And if you're looking at the evolution of this team, I still think it's in the fullback areas, particularly the left back. I think there's room to there's room there to do other things. You know, and so so yeah, I, I I love that goal too. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. So the cutback reminded me of the Smith Rowe against Spurs goal when Saka cut it back and he just appeared out of a line and just slide footed it in. But that to find that space in a box, you need movement. You need people moving around. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Really good. It it was really, really good. And I yeah, I take your point. Like I, I don't Please don't interpret what I'm saying as Declan Rice can't pass the ball. I just think no. Declan, I think yeah, because I'm not, sorry, I'm not saying that. I think it's a discussion <laughs> about who we want to be. The ball, you know. I think it's a discussion. You know, I, I'm not sure if I want that Declan Rice going forward. But hey, look, mm-hmm. I'm not saying what we really need is a is a a number eight, right? 
<laughs> number eight yeah. ahead. That's what we really need. That's what, and then with someone who has well, been shared the ball. And, and let's be honest too. This was the first time in a while we've had a midweek game. It's three games in a week. Mm. I think one of the things that was really good about the way we stormed out of the gates and beat them early is that the, I thought we looked like we had slightly tired legs late. And very, very, very nice for Mikel for a, a, a third league game in a row anyway to be able to sub off key players at 65 minutes, at 70 yeah. minutes, keep the squad turning over. Um, and, and we'll get into some of the subs in a minute. And great to see Jesus back on the bench. Obviously, he didn't have to use him in this game. Probably wasn't quite ready to play in this game, but... Um, that means he's very, very close. And the, the funny thing about playing this well is it's going to give Mikel a headache pretty soon because when the likes of Zinchenko are fit and ready to go and Jesus and maybe even a Thomas party and a Tomiyasu, how do you take the shirt off of Kivior? How do you take the shirt off of, you know, Trissard? How do you take the shirt off guys like, you know, Jorginho? Um, just let's let's spare a minute for, for Kivior just really quickly. Oh, yes. I'm glad you said that. I, I mean, I think there are some people that say football is a weak link sport. And that actually, it's your weakest link that can cost you. And you look at this team, and Kivior has gone from being a guy where say, well, he's not a fullback, it's not fair to play him there, to not looking like a weak link at all, to scoring goals now, uh, to recovering well. Um, you know, I think when you consider that Zinchenko is probably our quote-unquote, I'll put quotes around all this stuff, first-choice left back, and Timber might have been our first-choice left back, and Tomiyasu might have been the second-choice left back. Kivior might be the fourth-choice player in that position, and he's taking it on, and he looks great, and he's saying, this is my shirt. Who's going to come take it off me? I think he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, I think um, let's just take our minds back to Fulham away when he was slightly... Uh, I think it might be his first game, maybe his first game in a long time, and... Um, Hooked at halftime, wasn't he? Hooked at halftime, was playing yep. inside, was playing on the outside, was you not were very getting out. Of that. Mm. Oh, I was very critical of how he was used for his first mm -hmm. game. I felt he should have been the one given the complex role. He should have been Ben White. And look what we're doing a little bit later on. Also, we did that in this game, but I was very. Can, very can I just up. say one thing about that? If mm -hmm. Mikel is going to listen to the podcast, I think the least he could do is leave a review. Anyway, yeah, just to I, I tend to agree with you there. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and basically, if you think about that situation, and I remember a couple of passes in that game when people had it in, around Kivior and they passed the ball past him to get to somebody else. And he didn't step in to take it. Do you see what I mean? And so he's, when you're lacking confidence, you're a little bit uncertain. I think um, you could see it. But now everyone gives him the ball, didn't they? And uh, player trust is key. You can always tell when the player's accepted. And he's getting faster. He's getting fitter. He's getting a rhythm. He's, he's he's turning up in the box. I mean, he scored against Liverpool in a diving header on the penalty spot. Remember that one? And he just appeared yep. in the box. So he's he looks free. He, the language is obviously getting better for him. He's smiling. He always he looks at all the training picks. He's always on his own at the back sort of thing. He looks part of the group. And if you look at this team now, Elliot, you know there's a there's an elite group developing. You know, and um, the team that played here, obviously, if you add Trossard to it, Jesus, you had the, the, the injured players. And I, and I would put Kivior in that elite group now. You know, mm. the elite group. You know, so you got your 14 in this game, really. Like 12, 11, 13 in this game. And then you've got your key players. But Kivior now is one of those people that I think is at Arsenal standard. You know, and that's a great find from Fulham, from Fulham away. Yeah. Um, 
he got his goal off a set piece, as did Gabriel, although he didn't get the goal. It was an own goal, a somewhat comical own goal, but a lovely uh, leap and header from Gabriel, who was once again sensational. And I think it's really nice to see him getting his flowers. He got to wear the armband for a bit in this game. I think this is, I said this uh, on the instant reaction, but I'll repeat it because we didn't get a chance to really dive into it because of hashtag long day of drinking. Um, we're going to look back on this season, depending on what we achieve, and even you know, not depending on it, because we're just a fantastic team, full stop. And I think there's going to need to be articles written and videos done by people smarter than me on just how impactful set pieces have been for this team. You know, you look at football, and there's a lot you don't control. You know, you think about the NFL. Pe people hate the NFL for what, right? Oh, it's stop and go, it's stop and go, it's stop and go. But yeah. the NFL is a place where coaching can really matter. Because every play is a chance to design something to fool the opposition. Every single play, right? Football doesn't give you that. That's one of the beautiful things about it. It's a flow sport, except when you're playing Porto. But set pieces are a chance for coaching to make – I mean, I'm not saying tactics and coaching don't make a difference. You know what I mean? But you can yeah. you can manage, micromanage that individual moment. Clive, I, I think it is a testament to the culture Mikel has instilled that everything is managed. Everything the way we try to get the crowd involved, the way set pieces are managed, right? The way this team does everything is managed. And we probably don't talk about set pieces enough. In fact, sometimes we moan, I moan, where are the open play chances? Where are the open play goals? But the set piece contribution this season is, is something that probably deserves its own section of this pod and a couple episodes in the summer. Yeah, it's not, if you take it that point out broader, Elliot, I think it's, this team looks really well coached, doesn't it? In, in all aspects. And um, it's not very often that we have the wrong approach for the day. And if we do, we tend to talk about it. It seemed to me that we didn't play forward enough in Porto. It's quite clear. We all wanted it a bit more forward. We know yeah. we got a controlled European tie over 180 minutes. But we missed some play forward opportunities. What did we do yesterday? Moon the emphasis is our team forward. Move Rice forward, move Havertz forward, have someone who wants to play forward passes in behind. Everything was forward, quickly, forward, forward, forward. You can First see what's going to happen. Too, yeah. First time, you can see what's going to happen against Porto. You're going to run them off their feet, right? Um, it's going to be forward. Pass. We're not going to let that happen again. You know, so they learn lessons very, very quickly. And every aspect of the game is is well thought through. And I, I don't I don't use the word overcoach. It's just coached. And when you see a team taking the game seriously, you know, and every aspect of it, to throw-ins, to everything, although I think that Ben White's got to speed up, mate, on his free kicks and his throw-ins, that's the only thing. That is, is he doing a bit? It almost seems intentional. It's the weirdest thing. He takes forever. No. So I watched a little bit this morning, and there was a free kick in the first half, and he stood down the right-hand side. He wasn't sure where to go inside or backwards, but he took so long, they crept forward. He goes backward, goes back to Raya, and he had a slight miscontrol. He got out of it. But if that if Raya would have stepped on the ball, he would have got stick. But I'll be having Ben White for taking so long to take it. They crept forward and and basically they caught, they they got a press on. You know, move the ball quickly. Anyway, I'm not going to go in. <laughs> but move the ball quickly. It's important that we keep the tempo going. Don't let people come on to you. So um I'm not buying this on purpose. I'm not. You know? um, so, yeah, I love the fact they care about every single game, every single moment, every single game. And 
you want your team to be, I use the word elite already on this podcast, but we look like an elite coaching, old coach team. You know, we really do. You know, no physical go our way, but they're trying, aren't they? They're trying to make the margins go their way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great to see. And there's, there's a certain joy that comes from the open play goals because of the flow and the, the dynamism and the art of it. But I think if you're a coach, there might be something a little sweeter about a set piece goal. Cause you can say, it's just how we drew it up. Yeah. You know, it's your goal in a way. Um, and Gabriel proving to be a very, very dangerous weapon from those, um, from those moments. So a couple other little details here that, that I want to call out. And I, I think as we look at where we're, where we're at right now and how good we are, it is a very collective, um, a very collective situation we find ourselves in. I think as a group, you know, we talk about the out of possession stuff overall, we're, we're excellent. I think even in a great collective group, there has to be a star or two. There has to be someone that stands out and that really shines above the rest. Above the rest might be the wrong way of putting it. I'm I'm winding my way to my point poorly, but it's the Bakayo Saka thing. <laughs> you could just nope. say that about a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. But the, <laughs> no, the brain's good, in mate. like it's second gear, mate. Like it's it's not great. Um, <laughs> but like, there's something. I don't want to do the at the ground. You can see this, but there are certain differences at and the ground. <laughs> When yeah, when you well, I mean, like just watching the way players move a little bit, the way they touch it, the, you know, the way defenders stand off them. There's just something that that you you can see when someone's a star. You know, I had the chance to watch Michael Jordan play basketball in person, and like it, it's different. You can't describe how it's different, but it's different. And Saka has that. He has the it factor. Uh, I love the way he took his goal. I thought he was fantastic again in this game, and now he's up to 20 goals and assists for the season already. And like. There's obviously the whole meme about Rio is he world class and you know I I think they're having a bit of fun with that now even um on social media and stuff but he's 22 I think it's starting to dawn on me what we might have on our hands you know not like a great player but that next echelon like really at the next table where you can start mentioning some names in the same breath as Saka that are you know at the absolute top and I'm just curious what you think of the the next step on the ladder that he's taking. Where is he right now in in world football? Because to me, I, I I'm losing track of it. It's very very high up there. Let's put it that way. Yeah, if you what he what he lacks is what we all hope is that he can win multiple league and big cup trophies at Arsenal. Because if he does, and he's a big part of it, there's a there's a there's enough room on the concourse outside the ground. We put him into bronze one day in the future. I mean, he's, he's he could own every record in the club, appearance record, a lot. If he, if if we are, if we want to be that club, and he wants to be that player with us, then everything's there for him. You know, it really is. And um, if you take this game, Elliot. They had some. They put a sharp fullback on him, and I watched the way he dealt with him. Right, and he dealt with him. You might be able to post him up every now and again and just make him go inside. But he goes inside when he's ready, right? So he's in control of the fullback. Then what he did to Livermento very, very cleverly was his secondary movement, once he knocked the ball off, was so much more mature than it used to be. He used to get the ball, knock it off, and then stay wide. Now he's get the ball, knock it off, and he's gone. He's gone to, to hurt you somewhere else. 
and you have to pass him on. And if you don't pass him on quickly, he's getting it back. And he can control it. And he can tackle you when you're in the box. He can get shots off on his right foot. He can, and he's doing things in the, in the interior lanes now, which teams are not, they're not set up for in their, in their coaching. They're not set up, sorry, in their analysis. He just goes free. Martinelli goes free. This is a whole new concept. And I think this is another thing he's adding to his game. You know, he's, he, he, he is wonderful. He's a centre forward when he, when he receives it back to goal. He's a flying wing when he goes on the outside. He's a number 10 when he comes inside. He's a centre forward when he's in the box. All he lacks, I tell you now, the only thing he's got to work on, mate, is probably some of his ball striking in certain scenarios and his heading. That's it. And the rest is all about where he decides he wants to be on a pitch. You know, it's, it's one. How rounded is he at that age, and the responsibility he takes? You see, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a little clip of Arsenal Wenger talking about him and and praising him, and then Bukayo Saka's watching the video of Wenger praising him. And if it, please, I urge you to find it. It's on. I think it's on Being Sports actually. And just look at his face when Wenger's talking to him. Just look at his face, and you're thinking. This is really meaning something to me. This is not an act. This guy might be a nice guy, smiley face, but he wants it, mate. He wants to be one of the best in the world. He's well on the path. Yeah. Yeah. The sky's the limit. Let's put it that way. I have no idea where this goes. And it's funny because it shows you how hard it is to, to predict youth talent. Because two seasons ago, I thought he was excellent. And I thought, well, maybe Martinelli will develop into the better scorer and he'll be more of a playmaker. Maybe he'll even move inside, be an eight or whatever. And like, nope, he's just going to be everything. He's going to be a goal scorer. He's going to be assist provider. He's going to move inside and outside. Did you notice he was coming inside quite a bit uh, yesterday? Both of them were Martinelli and Saka came inside quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So, by the way, the, uh, the, the one he took with his right foot, he he's added that right. He he twisted them in and out a little bit, took it with his right foot. Carius made the save. Yeah, uh, that's just nice. strings to the bow. You know what I mean? Um, used to not want to use his right foot as much. And the thing I noticed about that right foot shot, no back lift, yeah. right? So he has the ability to sort of fool you by taking it early. Lovely player. Um, I want to ask you some questions about how we're going to integrate players returning. I want to talk about some of the subs and, and Dan Byrne denying Emma Smith where the goal was probably the low moment of the night. Um, I can get over Joe Willock scoring a goal because it's Joe Willock. It's beautiful. A couple other individual performances I want to talk about um, as well. So there's a lot still to get through, but I better get through one piece of business before my brain uh, trips out of my ears. And that is this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, I might need to... Have a word with someone maybe later on today, the way I'm feeling. But yeah, uh, therapy is is serious business. And I think it it's so tough because I think we're getting better as a society and talking about mental health. But I think we still talk about it sometimes as crisis management. And like, obviously, if you're in crisis, if you're hurting, if you are in a difficult place, you need someone to talk to. And while friends and family and partners can be those people, even coworkers at times, the problems you're experiencing may require someone who's professionally trained in working with you to get through those crises. But I also think we can look at therapy as a way to avoid being in crisis. When I saw a therapist for a number of years, it wasn't specifically a crisis, but it was a feeling that I was not as a, I was not working on myself in the way I needed to. And so I, I really can't speak highly enough of the process. I think what BetterHelp gives you is the ability 
to pair with someone that's a good fit for you. You don't have to find the extra time in your day to drive to an office and drive back. If that person doesn't fit with you, is there another office even within range of you to drive to? How expensive is that? I think BetterHelp makes it more affordable, more accessible, and really just normalizes the process of of speaking to someone um, about your mental health and, and working on your mental health in just a way where it can become part of a daily regiment, the same way eating right or exercising would. So I think it's something to give a try. Uh, the copy here says, learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. Um, so one thing about the Kai Havertz and Odegaard thing that I think is interesting the way they were pressing, like the, the the biggest thing in this game, I think the story of the game more than anything else, probably two things for me, is Jorginho's verticality in his passing and just the way he he controlled the game. And then the Wonderful. way Kai Havertz and Odegaard shut down their ability to get out, just completely shut it down. And it sort of makes me wonder because I think as pressing duos go, they're probably our best too. But the other guy who's really, really good at it is Jesus. And so I wonder, how do you see that press evolving? Because... Kai was not bought to be a nine for us specifically. He's been playing don't know that. And a half. You don't well, know that. I know we, that. I know he wasn't bought to be that first and foremost because when Jesus has been available, Kai has played eight, right? So I guess what I'm saying is, as Jesus gets back, and I think we underestimate his importance, I don't think we want to lose the dynamic of what we get with the pressing with Kai and, and Odegaard. But Jorginho has added verticality into our passing, as we've seen, and the ability to have 100 touches and 100 passes in a game, which I don't think is what Declan Rice ideally would do. I think he can do it, but I wouldn't say ideally. So that's an interesting... How do you square that circle between Jesus, Havertz, Rice, Odegaard, Jorginho? Is it simple that it's just a rotation depending on the game? Is there a way to get all of them in there? How do you think Mikel will... Reintegrate Jesus and not lose what he's got with that group. <laughs> you're doing your first 11 thing again, are you, Elliot? I want to put them all on the pitch at the same time. Yeah, well, you can't because your you boy Martinelli I... won't play. And then, then then what are you going to do? Right? So, Crying. Um, Crying to my pillar. And uh, and then, you know, Jorginho, as I just read, he just made 25 appearances this year. I didn't expect that from him. You know, Well, we I'm going to stop you then. You know what? Mm. I'm going to stop you because you said something, and I think it's a better conversation than what I led with. So let's do this then. Mm-hmm. Has Martinelli played well enough to keep his place from Jesus? Is the answer that Jesus, who has so much in his game, becomes gets an opportunity to play off the left, and Kai and and Odegaard are the pressing triggers up front. Jesus is off the left. Jorginho and Rice are in the game. Is Mart does Martinelli have to maybe give over to Jesus at times? I mean, that, I think that's an interesting it question. It depends. It depends on form, doesn't it? I mean, a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. Trossard was keeping Jesus out of the team for many people. Yeah, no, because yeah. he just basically unlocked us, and we just stuck, you know, eleven goals in someone's net. You know what I mean? So, hey, you got to get comfortable with people. They're going to go, they're going to peak and trough. They're going to go up and down. We just spoke about Kivio. I mean, look, none of us would think he's going to be here. You know, he's had a miraculous sort of rise in six weeks. You know, so it's going to happen. Fifty-five games, fifty-eight games, wherever it is. We hope um, no one can do them in a straight line and be perfect all the time. So. um if, if you're picking a team for your life, I always have this conversation. I think I was talking to some of the patrons on Saturday earlier, and um, I always have that was this a great meetup, by the way. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, that. really nice people, man. And then um, basically saying, pick a team for your life. Who's in it? You know, 
And it, it, it depends where it is. It depends where the game is. You pick a, if you're picking a team for a home game, it's an interesting one. You know, you pick a team for Liverpool at home or Man City at home. Depends how you want to play. And this is what I said earlier. I'm not worried about it. I'm just, I'm more worried about picking the right style of game for the right opposition. You know, I think that's that's it. To Jesus play? Well, the last Jesus great performance I can remember, the Jesus at Sevilla away, for example, mate, he plays every game. You know, so Jesus at Forest away was fine. You know, again, Havertz from an early season, he doesn't play. Havertz now in the front two, look what he's done at Liverpool. Look what he's done at them. Look what he's done this game. You know, he, he deserves time on the pitch. He deserves to play. And so, um, it's, you know, look at Trossard. Trossard really did really unfortunate, played excellently. Has one game where we couldn't find him. He came off the bench. I thought his attitude was brilliant when he came off the bench. You know, I thought he was really sprightly. He really want to get about here. Um, we got to get comfortable with the fact that we, if we want to be good, we're going to play every three, three, four days and they can all get their time on the pitch. You know what's really interesting in a way? Sometimes I think the worst thing you can have is a player where you're like, I don't really know their position. But sometimes you can have a player where it's kind of the opposite. It's like they're very good in a couple different ones. And so... Jesus can play nine and Havertz can play eight. And I think everybody would say that's a good lineup. There are games where that's going to work great. Jesus can move out to the left and Martinelli can have a day off and Havertz can play up front and play nine. And everybody's going to love that. I mean, it's giving us those capabilities. Jorginho has added something to our game. Now, the interesting thing with Thomas Party coming back will be what Party kind of has is he can be a bit of Declan Rice and a bit of Jorginho, right? Jorginho yeah. can't cover the ground, Rice can. Rice maybe doesn't have some of the verticality and small space elusiveness of like a party. So it's a bit of a shift in in qualities. But that group looks very strong. And suddenly all of the departments, you know, up front, you say, well, we could go with Kai. We could go with Jesus. We could go with Trissard. We have Martinelli and Saka. Smith Rowe is looking bright when he comes in, right? That group looks a bit uh, robust. And now you say with Rice and Jorginho and Party and Kai can kind of play a little bit of midfield and that group's starting to fill out. And so all of these groups, you have some optionality and it'll be interesting to see what Mikel regards as his team for his life because that Porto return leg, for example, he's going to have to pick the team for his life. And I'll be very curious. Is he going to leave Jorginho out of that again and trust that we'll have the verticality without him? Is he going to put him in and not find a place for one of those dynamic forwards like a Jesus if he's back and in form? Very interesting decisions to be made. The one be. thing what, we would you, what would you do, Elliot, for Porto? What would you do? So I, I will admit, I think Jesus is probably underrated and in the Champions League in particular, he has an unbelievable record. I want to see, does he play against Sheffield United or Brentford first though? Because I'm not starting yeah. him against Porto if he hasn't played. If he's played, I, I might go with Rice, Kai, Odegaard, and Jesus up front, right? So a midfield of Rice, Kai, Odegaard. But like, I am inclined to want, especially against a Porto team that was very organized, I want that vertical passing. So I'm going to probably try to find a way to get Jorginho in there. And if yeah. that means that Jesus does go out and play on the left instead of like a Martinelli, I'm fine with it. If it means Kai plays nine, I would even say, and people are going to roll their eyes at me for this, given how good he's been. If Kai has to come out of the team and it's Rice, Jorginho, and Odegaard with Jesus at nine and Kai's on the bench, 
I don't think that's a problem. I do think the question is what that does to our pressing. But if there's one guy in the team that I think can press as well as Kyer better, it might be Jesus. It depends for me on whether he yeah. gets him play. Well, that's yeah. what I mean. Whether he plays in the next two games and how he looks. Um, we're fortunate again, though, right, Clive? Because it's over a week until Sheffield United, then a week until Brentford, then yep. the three days to, to Porto. So we have some time to figure that out. What I was going to say, though, is there are players that we don't play without. And I saw an incredible stat. I think our win percentage with Saliba and Gabriel starting is 73%. And with even one of them out, it's 55%. That partnership is, I think, the elite center back pairing in the league. Um, and and I, you know, it, it's that's the one that just has to stay there and always has to be there. Um, once again, I thought they looked great in this game. Saliba... A nice thing about this game is some players who had maybe rocky experiences in Porto got back on on good footing, and one of them is definitely Saliba. I think he was back to his best against Newcastle. What do you think? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, um, Touchwood, right? They um, they're also getting through so because of the way we pressure from the front. They're getting through these games quite economically. They're not being run around into corners. You see what I mean? They enjoy themselves going forward. You know, getting onto the intercept pieces. They're playing in a nice rhythm, you know, a nice level of efficiency physically. I, I, I love how they play. Um, I just think um, we got, we've got grown so used to that base, you know, particularly with Rice came back in there as well, the three of them, you know, and the control we have from the back. When we do go backwards, goes back to our goalkeeper, and nine times out of ten he looks after it, you know. But the most, what he doesn't do is he doesn't encourage people onto him, you know, so we can get a chance to play. You don't realise what that, when that's not quite right until you have somebody who can't look after it because they'll find the dope and they'll get after him. That base is really, really strong. And so, yeah, I think for me, you know, I'm a bit more of a pragmatist. If you look at last season, what have we improved? We've improved our defensive stability. You know, and um, I think our emphasis in our coaching has been a lot more about how we are defensively switched on and our recovery time of getting the ball back. The whole emphasis of the whole team has been based on that. I think that was the bedrock, and we focused on that, thinking our attack will get there eventually, and it's got there now. And so, and then while you've got your defence sorted out, you're not getting smashed, you're not losing games, you're not losing games on data, performance is there, you've got a solid floor, and you build from there. And that's how you build a house, right? You build it with foundations, you build it with principles, then you add the stuff on top. And the things that we hope for when we get into transfer mode are the things to add on top to allow us to be more consistently creative in a forward direction and maybe have some speed forward cover for our younger players who are still only 22 that play a lot of minutes. It just makes sense to have another forward that could offer a certain dynamism. So... It's, the future's looking bright, mate. The foundations are well in place. It's up to us now to add to them, maybe mentally just get over the hump when it comes to the, the big stuff, the trophies. What about the guy behind them, David Raya? Um, mm. I was on his... So it was. It happened down my side. I was on Kivior's side in the first half. Yeah. They tried to run him twice at the end of the half. Raya came out and cleared it. Yeah. Obviously, a couple good moments of distribution. You know, a couple others that did, didn't find their man. But... You really just see it. He steps into a defense, like a sweeper defender position yeah. when we have the ball. He's not playing in goal at all. Comes up to um, half, almost. Yeah. yeah. And the comfort that the players have going back to him is just clear. 
there were a couple nervy moments, I think, for the fans. But as a player, he just looked super comfortable on it. Um, once again, I, I, I feel like I have to mention Raya for a confident and comfortable performance. But maybe the thing is just that we can stop mentioning it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the guy doesn't have any saves to make, but he's doing other things that are really important to what we want to do. Yeah, he claims crosses beautifully. And he, when he runs, Elliot, I think he had to sprint this game, as you said, to come out. When he mm-hmm. runs, he runs like a footballer. He doesn't run like a goalkeeper. You see what I mean? He runs like a, a player. And um, so he he's a proper athlete. He moves really, really well. Hey, look, for me, I wish he was two inches taller. I'm honest with you. Yeah, and um, because I do feel sometimes... Just on occasion, he can just look a little bit small. Just on occasions, you know, and um, <clears throat> but he makes up for that with his bounding ability, right? So, but sometimes you just can't physically get there because you just can't. And as soon as that happens, I my my say, well, he's too small on occasions. Probably, probably massively unfair, but just not just a gut feeling with my eye. But yeah, look, the way we play now, he fits it, doesn't it? It's a principal decision. It's a football principal decision. It's not. A, it's not a beauty contest, right? It's not a love contest. It's about, it really is about football. And, you know, you look, you look at Mikel, this man's not messing about, is he? <laughs> he's not messing about. If you can spend that amount of time on throwings and corners, and you think he's not going to mess about, he's looking for every single margin possible, isn't he? You know, it isn't about having happy, clappy people around. When he, when he bought Jorginho, was it 10, 11 million? Remember that? And I'm thinking, oh no, back to Chelsea again. What are you doing, mate? Or what are you doing? Do you, do you not know these Arsenal fans? <laughs> you know what I mean? Chelsea fans are giggling. You've got Jorginho, only, only passes backwards and and he's old, can't move. And we think, oh, let's just let's see what happens here. Now you see his role in the team, his coaching role in the team, his leadership, his, you know, for a young team. You can see why. You know, and... um. I can remember when Mikel was first came in, he was looking at two players to buy. And one was Jorginho early, and one was John Stones. When John Stones was stepping on the ball a lot, you know, not the John Stones of today. And I can remember people saying, what is up with him? What's he doing? You know, and I wish he'd have gotten both when he first came in, you know, because um, John Stones hadn't signed a contract then, et cetera, et cetera. So he had an eye for what he wanted to do, right? And, um, and uh, he's, he's delivering. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's a weird thing. I just noticed Jorginho's older than Mohamed El Nenny. <laughs> you know, mm. like if I had just asked you that top of your head, would you have guessed that? You know what yeah, I mean? He's 32, it's just interesting he? 32, yeah. How, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting how a footballer can feel more in his prime than another footballer. It, the thing that I think we sometimes forget these are human beings, they are not FIFA video game characters, right? Yeah. Some bodies develop differently, hold up differently. Yeah. You know, you have guys who, you know, like a Cristiano Ronaldo and an Olivier Giroud, right, who in their mid-30s are fitter than some players who are just done by 28. So you just don't know what you're getting. Um, but in Jorginho, we definitely got something special. That's for can sure. I'll just mm-hmm. say something on him. I, I haven't always been there with Jorginho, so I don't want to sound, sound like an after-timer. It took me a while to work it out. And funny enough, mm-hmm. I, I worked it out a bit more with Declan Rice coming in. I think I can see a bit more as to why, you know, and um, and and the same for Trossard as well. Although Trossard came in a house on fire, sometimes you can just see what a bit of wisdom does—just a bit of wisdom of movement and thought and touch. 
and and quality and um all the young we love all the young players right because they've got the future ahead of them and we don't know where their scene's going to be but you need some need some blokes in there every now and again that are a bit they've got you know just ready to go you know ready to go and that's what they are yeah um i, I don't think many of the sub performances warranted too much discussion except for smithrow he does look bright when he comes on and he's different he he just has a knack for getting in the box and being in shooting position and he gets his shot up very quick yeah, that was very unlucky um with dan burn clearing off the line this is a tough one, I think, because Smithrow is a player that we've been waiting for. We know the talent is in there, although we remember it from a long time ago. I'm not sure we know exactly what he is right now. Um, his body hasn't held up, as everybody knows, but he does look bright when he comes on now. Everybody was trying to suck the ball into the back of the net when he took that shot. It's just, as we mentioned, in all departments, we look very, very strong. Do you see a a path for Smithrow this season to being an, an impact player for us? Um, or do, are we going to have to really exercise some patience and understand there's a lot of talent in this team right now, and he he can come in and play a a role in a bit part way, but maybe there isn't that clear path for him to be a, a major contributor. Well, we were talking earlier on about getting Jesus into the team, and we, we were yeah. debating <laughs> that, right? And now you moved on to Smith Rowe about debating getting him into the group. Conversations are light years apart, Elliot. We need a bit of honesty here. We need a bit of honesty about where the player is at this moment in time. Things can change. Kivior is a good example of what someone can do. You know, when they get when they're given a run of games, maybe that situation was forced and we wouldn't see what we're seeing today. But we need a bit of honesty about maybe some of the Haylanders and where they are. You know, today's not the day to do it for me because um, it's a joyous day. Um, but they've got they've got work to do, right? They've got work to do, and not everyone can play. So when you get a chance, you've got to make it really, really work. Really, really work. You've got to change people's opinion. Look back to the early point in the season. So of those three players, the one who's had the most opportunity has been Eddie. Right? He got himself an England cap, and you think, well, you know what? Well done. Good young player. That young player, I said, well, you told me this. Havertz is younger than him. Right? So we have to open our eyes up now to, the, to these players. who they're, they're men playing football. I mean, they're in their prime right get into their prime you know Reese Nelson I thought he looked sharp I thought he looked sharp when he came on and I look at him I think mm, of, the, of the three have you got the attitude have you got the have we as a squad got the need for someone who can play both sides look after the ball and he's really sharp physically maybe or maybe it's time to move on we don't know I think there's an honest discussion to have about them in the summer you know, about where they are, where they're going, versus other people in the squad. Fabio Vieira was on the bench yesterday. When we see him, we're going to have an opinion about him versus those Smith Rowe, Nelson. Where does he fit with that group? Does he go? Do they stay? There's, there's more to this discussion, Elliot, and it's one we should have in the, in the near future, no doubt. The Eddie situation is really interesting, by the way. I, I would mm -hmm. love to pick Mikel's brain about it because, like, he started nine of our first 11 or 12 Premier League fixtures this season, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and by the way, it, I'm not talking about Sheffield United and, and Burnley. I'm talking about Newcastle away and City at home and Tottenham at home and Manchester United at home. Like, he started all those games, and now it looks like the only way he's getting on is if it's a comfortable game late for 15 minutes. 
that's a really interesting one to me. Do you find it as interesting that he was so high up the pecking order earlier in the season? Um, because I think there was a moment I know there was for me where I'm like, well, I don't get it. You know, let's just play Kai there. Let's play Trissard there. But Eddie did get his chances. It feels similar to me like last season where he had his run and Mikel felt it it wasn't clicking, to use that word, and moved away from him. Do you find it sort of curious that we went through that period this season and where he is now in terms of his sort of position in the squad? Depends on your priorities, what you're trying to assimilate. So in the team this year, we've got Havertz and Rice being brought into this team, right? So that's basically two-thirds of your midfield just being changed. And so rather than get someone in where you brought him in potentially to be you know, more, used more often as a midfielder, but then can be used as a striker. That's, that's what I feel um, that Havertz has brought in to do two jobs. Um, you you want to really teach him how to do the primary job you brought him for. And so to do that, you need to play someone else at centre forward. You know, and, um, and that's what he did. You don't bring someone in and say, look, I want to make you an attacking top-of-the-box player and then don't and then play you up front. You know, just like Chelsea did, you know. So I think his priority was to assimilate Havertz into the group and Eddie was a beneficiary of that, you know, while Jesus was out. So, um, so yeah, he's had his opportunities. He can't say he's not had his opportunities. You know, so mm. whereas Smithrow has been unlucky not to get opportunities with health and, and Nelson has, has had some opportunities and done quite well in some and, and been steady in others. So... It's a development question for all of them and the squad as a whole. And in the end, we need a number. This is a challenge I'm not aware of, mate. It's the homegrown aspect. That's three homegrown players there. Yeah. Can't just be everybody. You know, so we'll see. I think it's also, it's difficult for us sometimes as fans to realize the distance we've traveled from a quality standpoint. Getting into the Arsenal of last season was one thing. Getting into the Arsenal two seasons ago was a different thing. Getting into the Arsenal yeah. three seasons ago, I mean, I heard a rumor they were trying to get a shirt on you. Like, now where we Big are. Big shirt. <laughs> yeah, double X. Um, but now where we are, and this is why the, the job for Adu is going to get more difficult, right? Because... What do you buy? We, I've got, I've got a lot of people coming up to me when we talk about the su the summer, saying, "I don't think I want Victor Osimhen." Victor Osimhen's mm -hmm. going to go somewhere for 120 million, and you got Arsenal fans turning their nose up, and I am too. I'm not sure he's the right guy for us, but it's just the point that can you imagine two or three seasons ago turning our nose up at something like that, or even an Ivan Tony? The, the the distance we've traveled is so great that now the player that can come in and I mean, think of what it's going to take to make this team look better than it does already. We just went through six games with a, what is it, plus 24 or whatever we are, plus 25 goal difference in six games. I mean, and and we've allowed six shots on target, I think. Yeah. The, the, I this think, team is at a very, very unique level that's going to be very hard to improve upon. And that's why there are players that can't get in the, can't get in the side. Yeah, I think if you're looking at this, you said it earlier, we are collective and we do things in a collective way. There's a moment in this game where the ball, for once, the only time when I think Ben White pushed on and the ball got cut out, Saka was high, and they flipped it out to Isaac. And you look at the corner of the screen, and Odegaard is sprinting back like his life depends on it. And he is like, I'm not seeing him move that quickly. And, and Isaac gets a shot off, he goes over the bar. 
that's the collective that we're after. We're not after people walking about thinking I'm the man, I'm standing here. Do you see what I mean? For all the people that are not sure about Kai Havertz, that's absolutely fine. But he plays to the collective. Look at his work rate. Look at what he does for his teammates. Look how he offers himself to his teammates. If you're looking to build on this, it's those type of individuals. And funny enough, Isaac could be one of them. You know, he works quite, this was not a day to look at him, but he is a very hardworking, pressing player that can play central and wide. If you said to me, Isaac or Tony, it's Isaac all day long. I would even, it would take me 0.2 of a second to make that decision. You know, because um, what he offers and what he, what he transmits, you know, so, and that's why I, I look at the players and you're in the ground now. You're seeing it for your own eyes. You get the, you get a feeling. You get when these when these pundits are talking about Arsenal fans getting excited. You don't get excited over people you can't connect to. You don't get excited over a club you can't connect to. You get excited because you you feel connected, you know. And um, and players that disconnect from you, then that's it. Sorry, mate, ain't gonna work. You know. So whatever happens in the future of our squad, we need more people that that are we. Not just me. We everybody can feel connected to because then we feel invested and then our support grows and everything everything rolls from there, Elliot. That's the momentum. It is weird because I was sitting just past halfway on the side we attacked in the second half. Mm. And like at halftime, you know, so they were attacking down the other side at halftime. Not the other side, but you know, the other the other half. So it's a little bit further away. And at halftime I remember thinking, I haven't seen the players over here. There hasn't been anybody over here. It's just incredible. I mean, for the whole first half, they I, I i know it's not literally true, but it felt like they had never crossed over to where I was sitting, which is yeah. just past the halfway line. It is as dominant as I have seen us look. And so I think the, the question becomes, can we do it? And everybody seems to be asking, can Arsenal do it? And on match of the day, they said to Ian Wright, can Arsenal win the title? He's like, of course they can win the title. What, what are we doing here? If they can't win the title, what are we doing here? Look look at, you know, 6-0, 5-0, 3-1. And I have to say about Mikel Arteta, you know, when the All or Nothing documentary came out, his team talks, Clive, were a big talking point. Some people thought they were cringe. Some people thought they were great. But I think it's very clear that whatever he's doing with his team talks, I do think he's he's really mastered motivation because you beat Liverpool. Then what do you do? You go to West Ham. Okay. You could drop a level, right? You just beat Liverpool. You go six nil. You just beat West Ham away six nil. Now you're going to a terrible Burnley side. You're reading your headlines. You're really good. You take it easy. No, five nil, right? You lose away at Porto. What are they thinking? Revenge. And I, I think the fact that Odegaard referenced getting revenge on them for that last game in his, in his post-match comments tells you what Mikel has been chirping in their ear, yeah. right? And I can promise you, things like the Porto lap of appreciation that they did after the Galeno goal, he's going to find the way to motivate them. And so the, the last thing I just want to touch on, we currently sit two points off the top. It's 60-59-58, everybody on 26 games played, plus 39 goal difference, top of the league. The Arsenal team that doesn't score, 62 goals, one fewer than Liverpool. Defensively, 23 goals. Two, two fewer conceded than Liverpool, three fewer conceded than Manchester City, but on expected goals, 18 expected goals allowed. That is 13 fewer than Liverpool and six and a half fewer than City. We are plus 34 in expected goal difference, which is a solid seven better than City and nine better than Liverpool. The way we are playing right now to suggest we can't do it is folly. There's a couple of games where I'm going to have to go win 
that are going to be hard. But when you look at it right now, where's your meter in terms of the can Arsenal do it meter, the the league table and, and our chances for the title? Um, I feel if we do it, it won't be with the players we currently see right now. They can't do all of the games. And so for me, if we do it, it's because we get some people back healthy and they hit form mm-hmm. to supplement these guys. And that's the truth. We're looking at 12 players a moment we've used in the last week and a half, and that can't work. Right? So Jesus is closed. Party's meant to be closed. Zinchenko's meant to be closed. Again, we need the different ways of playing on a different day. And if we need to change because we've got something wrong, we need, we need to be able to do it. Right? So... And I think that will come real quick. We'll know it. We'll know it. it's going to, it'll just, it'll sweep over us right? like a cloud where you think we need to do something else. And you need that option. If it doesn't have that option, you will feel it as a group. So I think that moment is to come in it when we touch wood, we go, we get past Porto, then we start to think about a Champions League quarter final. It could be at Bayern Munich or something like that. Right. So then that game slotted in between the key league games. The week changes. You know, our lives change when we look at the games. Look at the league games now. You slip in some European games in there and everything looks different. It looked different for Liverpool, it looked different for City. Arteta looked, he looked buoyant after this game. Buoyant. Quietly, really, really happy because he knew this was a test. This was, this is the team he wants to build. A team that can go away in Europe and then play on a Saturday night and then do that. With that level of intensity, that is what he's working towards. That's a major moment for us. I was worried about it. I'll be straight. I was worried about it. I thought this is a time where you slip over. This is a time when it, normally Wednesday, so it's a Sunday two o'clock game. We didn't have that opportunity, and um, I was worried. But hey, look, we got through it, and not only did we get through it, we smashed them. You know, we smashed them. And think about how you felt when that goal. St. James's Park went in and, and everyone everyone was desperate to find a reason to to give it and make out that we were off our heads for thinking it wasn't a goal. Well, you hold that, you hold that, and then uh, you do that, what we did on Saturday night, and I, I was so pleased, so pleased. And don't look now, but all of a sudden Liverpool, who really didn't have to do much before now, have a cup final today and an FA Cup tie midweek and a tough game at the weekend and Sparta-Prague away, and then City, and then Sparta-Prague at home, and then the Merseyside Derby away, and then another FA Cup tie, and then the next round of the Europa League, which they'll probably be in. you know. And no one's saying, like, I love the FA Cup. I do. But you look at what we got coming up. It's not going to be easy. But maybe, just maybe, a few fewer fixtures and a few fewer fixtures being rearranged into a very busy April and May time period. Yep. The margins are that tight. They really are that tight. And Liverpool are starting to pick up a couple injuries here and there. And More than a couple. It's gonna, it, yeah, it's going to be those kind of things that decide the league. These are, you know, these are three very good teams. But I honestly believe no one is playing better Premier League football right now than Arsenal. And if we just keep doing that, we have every right to expect we'll be there at the very end. Am I saying we're going to win the league at Old Trafford? I'm not saying definitely. I'm just saying probably. I think we can leave it there. (laughs) 
book hotels, my um, son. We've got a big night out. <laughs> God, I got to go to Manchester in May. All right, fine. You talked me into it. Um, lots more to come this week. Of course, uh, that video travel journal, if you want to see what the European away day was like, um, some of you, many of you listening already know what a European away day is like, but if you'd like to check that out, that's, that's up uh, over on Patreon and more than anything, just love everybody got to meet this week. I, I can tell you, you know, Clive and I have become close friends, obviously through doing this pod as a, a Tim and I and Paul and I, and, um, but you don't, we don't get to see each other as much as I'd like, you know, it's, it's, we see each other through a screen, but to travel with you, Clive was brilliant. Like just to, yeah, just man. to spend days traveling through Porto and have that one extra day on Friday to walk around the city and be together. Really, really loved spending the time with you and ha had a nice dinner out with Tim. So, you know, that kind of stuff, it reminds you that the football, as much as it can drive you nuts, it brings you together with people you're going to know for the rest of your life. So really special chance to do that. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot and uh, I didn't see Tim this time, but, um, but yeah, Tim's top class, right? Um, Tim, yeah. Me and Tim talk a lot. <laughs> we had a four sure and a half hour dinner the other night. I, I don't know that he recovered from it, frankly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, really, and you looked after me brilliantly in, in Portugal. So thank you very much for that. And um, yeah, I, I will say we met some really nice people. I, I have so many names, but but we're very fortunate. I, I don't want to sound sycophantic. We're, we're so fortunate with our audience. And um, all those that came up to us, they just thank you very much for being so kind, really. Yeah, can't, could not have said it any better. So I'll leave it there before I do something wrong. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. It's it's Sheffield United next. And <laughs> you don't want to get carried away. You don't want to get ahead of yourself. I don't think Mikel will let them get ahead of themselves. But I'm going to do my outro and maybe just maybe there's a chance at it. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Sheffield United now. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase, plus get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com